My name is Namis. I'm from Oceanside, California. I write poems and songs about things that I believe to be important, and I am desperately passionate for social justice. Hey now, welcome back to another episode of Setting Stages with Eddie Mack. This is episode 11, guys. We're past the double-digit mark, and we are back to our regularly scheduled program. But here we are. We've got our first guest in the double digits, and it is an old friend of mine who's also a hip-hop artist, and he goes by the name of Namus. Namus is a rapper who talks about his upbringing in a Christian household, listening to gangster rap in the suburbs, and he revisits his crushed dreams as a professional basketball player. This all led to how hip-hop was basically beckoning for his attention the whole time. Now, of course, the road to where he currently is hasn't exactly been smooth, so he'll be touching on a major setback that he experienced and what he learned from that, what he gathered from that, and how he applies that lesson to the current state of music, the current space of music, you know, with social media and accessibility with streaming, etc. And he also touches on remaining and preserving your authenticity as an artist. In the last year, he's also been juggling being a stay-at-home father and a full-time musician. And as his records have actually been growing, he's reached over 53 countries, 19,000 Spotify fans, and over 3,000 hours of listens, and it's still counting. In fact, his new album, Roads to Rome, drops June 26th, but I'll tell you more about that at the end of today's episode. For now, let's bring to the stage episode 11 with my friend and hip-hop artist, Namis. Let's go. All right, I'm here with Namis. Yeah. Welcome to Setting Stages with Eddie Mack. I'm glad to be here, man. I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me. That means a lot. Long time coming, bro. Yeah, it has, man. We've been talking months about this, and it's about time, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, this comes with great timing. I think that um, we've got a lot to talk about for you know future endeavors and uh, projects that you have going on. Yeah. Um, but I really want to talk a lot about uh, your journey in music, really how you came about and uh, became Namis, I guess. And um, let's start with where you're from, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, so I'm sure the where you're from question is more for your audience than you, being as <laughs> that you grew up around the corner from me. So <laughs> we literally grew up in the same block. Yes, sir. Um, so, yeah, so I'm from Oceanside, um, Inland, Oceanside, 92057, uh, Gallery Drive, you know. Yes. Um, my parents still live in that same house. Um, I hope to live in it someday. And, uh, yeah, Oceanside, man. That's where I'm from. Yeah. We get we take a lot of pride in that city. I think that has a lot to do with um, the balance of people that we have there. Have a lot to do with it. Our neighborhood kind of, you know, we were in the suburbs, part of Oceanside, and I yeah. know there's some rough patches that that city has too. Um, but I think that because we were exposed to that little balance, it, we take a lot of pride in like the real human, I guess, element that comes with that city. Yeah. I know I appreciate it because of those things too. Yeah, and, and like you said, even though we were like in the more suburban uh part of the city we still were right down the street from the bridge and as soon as you cross the bridge you know what i mean yeah you're in another part that's true so um there's you know that stuff floods both ways when i consider the fact that our parents were able to like buy a house in that area have us grow up in that area literally a stone's throw away it could have been a different story for us that's real talk man that's real talk and honestly um 
my parents weren't even in the tax bracket to buy the house they got. It was kind of just a crazy turn of events. There was one house left on the block to be sold. It had a buyer, and last minute it didn't, and the market was right, and I mean, it just kind of worked out. The stars kind of just aligned, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you describe our neighborhood? I mean, I would love to describe it myself, but what's your experience <laughs> in our neighborhood? Um, I I really like the neighborhood, man. Like it's it's green, you know what I mean? Like the <laughs> like the grass is all real green and everything. And yeah. We got a park right across the street. Uh, I lived in the cul-de-sac, and basically, man, we just coming up, we just skateboard and play basketball. That's pretty mm. much all we did. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was close enough where we, you know, walked to school, elementary and junior high. Yeah, um, about a mile from each. And uh, yeah, man, I feel like I had that like kind of old school television experience of like you know riding your bike to school and, you know and all that stuff kids i don't feel like kids don't do that no more same man I, 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 that that whole uh wait until the street lights are on then we had to come home yeah we literally grew up with that you yeah. know which was yeah. cool um so what about family like how many siblings do you have and all that yeah so i'm one of three brothers um i'm the middle child so my older brother is about three years older than me mm. Um, and my younger brother is 10 years younger than me. He was an accident. Um, <laughs> Mom and dad, whoops. Yeah, a, a major whoops. Um, and so his upbringing was a little bit different than mine and my older brothers. Okay. I think by the time he was coming up, my parents were just tired. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it was very different for him. Um, at least in terms of like discipline and things like that. Yeah, you guys um, were the guinea pigs, really. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they were basically figuring it out with us. For sure. Yeah. They, did they have it all figured out when number three came along and it was like, all right, we we know what we're doing, either, but we're tired as hell. <laughs> well, either, either they did figure it out and was like, yo, this is the right way, or they were just tired and was like, well, this is all I'm willing to do. <laughs> one, I don't know which one it is. My little yeah. brother's good though, so I mean, I'm not, you know. Um, in in hindsight, like we used to give my parents a lot of crap for how easy we felt my little brother got it. Okay. Um, but in hindsight, he really was a different animal than us in terms of the way he needed to be disciplined. Um, they. I think my parents did it the right way. Okay, yeah. cool. Even though at the time I really gave it to them. For that, you know? <laughs> how do you think your upbringing, you know, you talk about how different it is between you and your older brother as opposed to your younger, uh, younger brother. What do you think is the, I don't know, the underlying principle that kind of has carried you through your growth and development as an adolescent? Um, well, my parents definitely always tried to instill um, Jesus and the Bible into all of us. That was important to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's probably been the main, um, I guess, common thread or maybe the only common thread between um, what they gave the three of us. Um, and, you know, I still to this day kind of utilize that um, and um, count myself very thankful that I had that while going through adolescence um it's weird man i i basically i didn't really have any christian friends growing up mm. i was really always kind of the only one in the group um and so i kind of always i kind of always lived in two worlds at the same time 
Um, so I genuinely wanted to go to church and, and liked being there and felt like that was good for me and, and right. for my spirit. Um, but I didn't feel any connection to any of the people there. You know what I mean? Hmm. I felt like an outcast, you know? Um, and then to my friends, you know, I love spending time with my friends. They love spending time with me. But there's this part of me that, like, they don't relate to and they can't really understand. Right. And so, in a way, I'm, like, alone even amongst friends there. Um, so, it's been weird. It's it's it, it had moments of loneliness, but at the same time, I think it allowed me to um, be able to what the Bible talks about being all things to all people um, and giving me a good understanding of what, I guess, the different experiences that people have depending on whether that type of thing is instilled in them or not. You know, like okay. like it helped me. Like if I grew up in like a, a church bubble, then like I wouldn't really have any understanding of what the life is like of someone who's outside yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Which is problematic. So you were you know open I mean? to uh, at least uh, being exposed to other people's, whether it's beliefs, philosophies, um, just their different backgrounds. You you yearned for that that understanding. You said you know the, that the Bible states being all things to all people. So you were embracing of that philosophy by like taking in friendships from other backgrounds too. Am I getting that right? Well, if I'm being honest, it's not like that was intentional. This is just, these were the friends, like these were the people that were like me. They just, Mm -hmm. they didn't go to church. You know what I mean? Like, um, like I grew up listening to like nineties, like gangster rap, Atlanta rap, you know what I mean? Like Outkast, Dungeon Family, Snoop, Pac. Like, that's what yeah. I liked. Yeah. And so I hung out with the people who listened to that kind of stuff, you know? And, like, they didn't listen to that at church. And they didn't want, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. Know, I didn't even have friends who were hiding it from their parents like I was. You know, yeah. they, were, they just, they were listening to, like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like, corny church music. <laughs> I didn't like, you know what I mean? And so, like, and they just, we just, we went to the same place every Sunday and on paper we believed the same things but we were nothing alike you know um and ultimately you find kinship in like the people who have a similar experience all right you know what i mean all right and so things like hip-hop sports you know what i mean all these things are like how you kind of form your community sure yeah um and so that was that was true of my life literally until sometime in college was really the first time i ever really had like any type of circle of friends that actually went to church mm. you know what i mean like mm. i was really always kind of um outside of that um so yeah, yeah. so being christian uh and faith in jesus with with your upbringing that was kind of a strong foundation that's the that's the common thread yeah well mm. that, that yeah all right you know what actually before we got get into college what did you want to be when you were growing up uh, I wanted to <laughs> <laughs> just go. <laughs> I know exactly what the answer. Is. I, I not just wanted to. The plan was that I was gonna be, a, you know, like a star point guard for mm-hmm. the Lakers. Yeah, that's what I was gonna do. I was gonna. I had the whole thing figured out. I was gonna get a full ride to UCLA, and then I was gonna get drafted by the Lakers. Dog, <laughs> and be a star. Yeah, that was that was the plan, and. I didn't. I was the last person to realize that that wasn't going to happen. You were the last, <laughs> the very last person. <laughs> trust me. Wait, what were conversations like then when when it came to your dream and that was the plan that you had laid out for all the people that you were surrounded by—parents, brothers, friends. 
and you had this dream, first of all, did you vocalize it often? No. You can't. I, I, think, I think in my subconscious I knew it wasn't going to happen. Okay. All and right. So, all right. And I knew, or. Dang it. <laughs> or I knew I, I couldn't. I knew I, at the moment, while I believed that, I didn't have a leg to stand on. Hmm. Because I was never, like, the best player on the team, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, or anything like that. I mean, all I always right. played, you know what I'm yeah. saying? But I was never, like, ahead a rest of my peers. Okay, okay. You know, and so I knew that that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't work. And I remember um, this dude, my, my brother's friend, Mike Johnson, I remember talking to him about it. All right. And he was, they were seniors when I was a freshman in high school. And I rode the bench freshman year. Um, and I told him, I was like, yeah, man, I'm going to I'm gonna play in the NBA. Like, I'm going to play for the Lakers, hopefully, but I'm going to be in the NBA. And he was just like, bro, on average, two people a year from California make it to the league. Two. He's like, you ain't the best in the school. <laughs> You're not even the best on your squad. <laughs> He's like, you sit the bench. And I'm like, yeah, but just wait. You know what I mean? Like, not really being able to counter, counter uh, you know, count back. And then I actually remember um, the moment that I had the realization where it really, reality really hit me in the face. All right. So um, this was, I was in Spanish Street, so this must have been junior year. Goodness gracious, it was that late. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is junior year in high school, and in Spanish class, we had to do this presentation where we had to basically like say what the rest of our life was going to look like. Okay. Where we're going to a school, what our, our job's going to be, all this. Um, and as you, uh, as you, as I said before, the plan was to get the the full riders to UCLA. And For sure. Know. And I'm in this class, and there was about like. Like, these two girls that were, like, super smart, total nerds, you know, whatever, right? And they both said that they were going to go to UCLA or they were going to try to go to UCLA. Okay. And in their presentations, they talked about, like, how difficult it is to get into UCLA even if you have, like, the grades and the extracurriculars and all these things or whatever. I'm thinking, like, I only have the extracurriculars. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, if she's not worried about getting into UCLA, like, there's, you know what I mean? There's no way I'm getting into UCLA. And then it just kind of, the, the deduction just kind of domino. And I'm like, yo, this is, I'm tripping right now. I'm still on the bench. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm still not starting at this point. Um, junior year, too. Junior year, yeah. Oh, man. Junior year. That's pretty late in the game. Yeah. That's pretty- <laughs> so hold on a second. Well, I mean, that is pretty late in the high school game. It is. But- yeah, these, guys are getting, these guys are getting scouted at 13. I guess that's true. That's you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy, dude. Okay, wait. So in high school, you're figuring out, okay, this is not going to happen. The full ride to UCLA isn't going to fly. What was your plan at that point, if that was where you had your sights set? So we had to do this project senior year um, called, I think it was Senior Exhibition. And in Senior Exhibition, we had to um, do another project, a more detailed one, just like the Spanish one, where we had to like explain what we're going to do with the rest of our life and what our job's going to be. They wouldn't let me pick NBA star. <laughs> so I... <laughs> so... Um, I just pick the closest thing to the sports that I can think of, and I tell them I'm going to be a sports analyst. But really, in my heart at that time, I was like, I'm going to do music. Like, I'm going to be an MC, and I'm, that's how I'm going to pay my bills. So while I was um, 
becoming more and more disenchanted with basketball, um, I was becoming more and more in love with this thing called hip hop. Um, and they one phased out and the other one phased in. And by the time I was a senior, I was like gung ho, like I'm an MC. This is what I do. Like that's what I'm about. Yeah. And that's the only that's the only vision I need. That's how I felt. That's crazy. Straight up, that's how I felt. Wow. I didn't tell people that. I didn't tell people I was gonna uh-huh. do hip hop for a living. Uh-huh. But I believed it. I definitely believed it back then. You talked a little bit about the it. You talk about Tupac. And um, all the different gangster rap that you listened to, that pl- did that play a role in you making that that conscious decision in any way? Um, I you know what I don't know, probably, um, but I just I just loved hip hop so much, and I feel like anyone who really loves the genre um, has a phase where they experiment with writing and rapping. It's just kind of a rite of passage, you know, yeah, what I mean? for yeah. when you like something, you want to be involved in it. Um, and most people, you know, kind of don't stick with it. It's just a thing to do and to try, you know, and then just become a fan. And that wasn't it for me, you know, like I, I tried it and was, you know, probably mediocre at best when I started, you know, yeah. and, I wasn't satisfied. I'm like, I'm doing this. I don't, I don't know how, but we're going to figure this out. I'm doing this. Because the passion and the love was that strong. That's what I wanted to do. I, I, you know, I, I really love, I love the art. Um, and I was intrigued by just the different sounds and styles from different MCs and how, like, sounds change depending on, like, geographically. You know what I mean? Like, that... I noticed like very early on, like when I was listening to Outkast and Goody Mob, that their whole approach was completely different than when I was listening to Nas and Wu Tang and Pac and Snoop. Like all three of these things were like all different animals, you know what I'm saying? Um, and that was always super intriguing to me, you know? Um, and so I think I always wanted to um, be a part of this a uh, beautiful thing of like leaving kind of your mark and like putting your stamp on the art form and finding your way to to contribute to the genre. I always wanted to do that. That really resonates with me that you want to leave your stamp because it wasn't just a matter of fandom and being kind of the outlier and you were into it and you can talk to the community who were, you know, who were fans of it, but you actually wanted to be a part of it like an integral part of it by leaving an impression leaving some name for yourself in that same thing that you love so much yeah that's strong i was trying to i mean i was trying to spread the gospel to hip-hop you know what i mean i was trying i wanted to like i was trying to make these rappers famous you know the people that i listened to that most people didn't know like i wanted to make them rock stars too like i was like good like thought out art that was you know, founded in hip hop. Like I wanted that to be known because it was, you know what I mean? Like there was like a, there was a a change, you know what I mean? Like there was a time when skills was, um, a selling point for hip hop. And that's clearly changed. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, there was a break around the, around the turn of the century. Um, when there was like a clear chasm between quote unquote mainstream and underground, there were these two very different worlds all operating with the same name of hip hop. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was so much great art and like true lyricism and like amazing 
cadence and wordplay that wasn't known. And so not only did I want to be a part of it, but I wanted to expose that to more people. Like I wanted, Got it. wanted to make these guys rock stars, man. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. So w- would you say that in, in when it comes to all the different parts geographically, you said it sounds different. Um, I, I remember growing up and I was exposed to quote unquote underground hip hop through friends, you know, and I'm like, how the heck did they even hear about this artist? Like, how were you first exposed to that unbelievable art form that no one else knew was actually under the ground? The underground, yeah. That would, my brother, you know? So my brother, again, he was three years older than me, and so he had a couple dudes that were putting him on, this dude, Richard Gendron, um, and another cat, but Richard was the main dude, and... um, Shout out to Richard too. I remember him. Oh, you remember Rich? I really do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a cool dude. Rich was like, Rich was like telling us about <laughs> real talk. Rich was telling us about Eminem like before <laughs> Aftermath, before Dre, before yeah. My Name Is. Yeah. Like when Infinite was out. All right. Like he was like talking. He's like, yo, this dude's about to blow. Watch. Like real talk. Yeah. Um, and so we start. He was like putting us on to dudes. Like he put us on to. Um, He's the he's the reason why we bought Black Star when it came out. Yeah, Black Star like changed my life. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like changed my most stuff is literally my favorite rapper of all time. You know, and that's kind of where it all started. I always tell people Nas was my favorite rapper until I heard most stuff. Wow. Like, you know, um, and then also we were just listening to Sway and Tech, and Sway and Tech had all the underground MCs come through, and that's where I, that's really where I learned probably the bulk of the artists I was listening to at the time was if they came to the wake-up show, Swain Tech's wake-up show, man. That's cool. <laughs> I remember that show, too. Dude, and, everybody and was on that. Exactly. And the freestyles that, that, that people would drop, like, I remember just, man, when someone dropped that one line, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, man. So that's how, I mean, that's how artists got their names, honestly, like in the quote-unquote mainstream is through the Swain Tech. And that, that's the way I saw it. Yeah, well, that what was happening was they were coming through, they were they would get a buzz and then they would come through the wake up show mm. and that's when they were getting exposure to these other mm-hmm. you know these other dudes like to bigger audiences and bigger names because the mainstream guys like they were listening to Swain Tech they yeah. knew what was up you yeah know I mean? they were they were looking for people so how did you um, how did your first show come about for you like I mean here you are you you said I want to you know I want to I want to make music. Started writing, I'm sure, like crazy. Started recording probably not too long after. Tell me that story. <laughs> the recording or the show? Let's go with... Okay, yeah. Let's go with the recording. Okay, so we started We started a crew. Um, we, we started... <laughs> it's just so funny. It's so embarrassing because this is the stupidest group name ever. We started a crew called Usurp Nascent. Um, and so help me out with the name so we knew that to usurp meant to like kind of rise up and overthrow I don't even remember what to this day I don't even know what that word means but what happened was when we originally started the crew we wanted to be called United Nations because it was (laughs) two black dudes and two white dudes (laughs) but we heard that someone already had the name but we were for some reason we were just like stuck in using those initials we wanted you in. <laughs> we want- <laughs> and so we were like literally just going through a dictionary, like trying to find a cool word that was that had an N and a U and an N. And that's how we came up with the name. And um, anyways, this was like before the days of, you know, home studio 
recordings and stuff. So we, um, Omar, who is still a great friend of mine, an incredible rapper, he goes by Afar, um, a.k.a. Black Bolt, he was part of the crew, and his mom had a karaoke machine, and when we were lucky, like, we could convince her to let us use the karaoke machine, and we would stand, like, in a circle all sharing one mic and recording this karaoke machine. Tapes. That's cool. Um, and the most hood thing, this is, like, the most, <laughs> this is the most hip-hop thing I've probably ever done. <laughs> this is the most hip-hop thing. So, so right. me and Brad, so the crew was me, Omar, Joe, and Brad. Um, so, it, Namis, at the time, Omar was Little Moses, Joe's Joe Carnage, and Brad is Dextrous. Um, and I'm over at Brad's house, and we want to record. And I made this beat. He had this old Casio keyboard. I make this beat on the keyboard, and his parents have like the old school, um, old school answering machines with actual tapes. Yes, you know what I'm saying. The tiny little cassettes. That yes, you would <laughs> yeah, and I remember. I don't know why, but it had a function where you could record straight to it. It had like a little built-in mic on it. Okay. And so I remember, and if you took <laughs> if you took your finger off the button, it stopped recording. Okay. So Brad held the button down. I'm like holding this keyboard up over the mic, and we're like rapping it to this little. I mean, this thing is the size of like a dime. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm holding the keyboard up to it. He's holding his finger. If the finger comes off, we got to start over. Yeah. yeah. And we like oh record God. like a whole song like this. This is a true story. You can oh. tape it down or something. Like, I don't know if we had the the foresight. To, <laughs> <laughs> we was just trying to get something recorded, man. That's great. Um, and so that's pretty much we. Yeah, the the first time I ever got to do any recording that was like even decent quality in any way mm. was through Kit. Okay. Uh, you actually you probably don't remember this, man, but. Maybe I don't know if it was the first session, but one of those first early sessions, you were actually at Kit's house. So for sorry for the audience, um, Kit is a longtime friend of ours. Yeah, Kit was my uh, DJ for we rocked we did shows together for like eight years. We started out together. Um, he goes by Topher. He works with Mellow Orange, Fetty Joe Kim, and um, Question and those dudes. Shout to Mellow Orange, Jose Moore. What up? Yeah. Um, and. Um, Anyways, Kit had this program that called Acid. <laughs> yeah. Which people right. know, you know what I'm saying? That was a really popular program yeah, later, but sure. Kit was like the first one with Acid. <laughs> like he's like he's like, yo, I can I think that's how I met Kit. I'm not positive, but I think Emmett, another good friend of ours, shout out to Emmett, um, who also lived in the same block. And Kit too. We and all Kit, live in the same we neighborhood. All, we all neighborhood kids. Um, yeah. Emmett was like, he knew that me and Brad were rapping, and he was like, yo, this dude Kit, like, he can record at his house. Like, he's got, he has a computer and, and a microphone. I'm like, I don't really get it, but all right. And no so, answering machines there. <laughs> there was a computer and a mic, so it sounded legit. It seemed like it'd be legit. And so um, Brad and I went over to Kit's house um, to record, and... Um, <laughs> So we show up and we're like super nervous. We've never recorded before. We don't really yeah. know Kit. And we walk in and his house is packed because a bunch of you guys are downstairs watching Slam. Oh shit. I'm dead really? serious. Really? really? Yes. <laughs> a bunch of you guys are downstairs watching Slam. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. It was like you, I think, um, Michelton, I think was there. Dude, really? Um uh, I'm sure M was there. Um, what was Homeboy's name? 
can't remember his name. I can't remember. His it's name. all good. But there was it's like a, a that's bunch crazy. Of guys. All right, yeah. all right. So you so you show up that night or we whatever. Sh- that yeah, afternoon. we show up that night, and I remember <clears throat> it made me even more nervous because I'm like, dude, all these dudes are here, and like you guys were all listening to good hip hop. You know what I mean? And good like good poetry and stuff at the time too. Yeah. And so I'm like, dang, there's all these fools up in here. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll and never that was your that. first of like like recording session with Kit then, like real recording, real where, recording. We, where we actually could like listen to something back afterward. Like that's crazy. Like, he burned it on a CD. Mm-hmm. Whoa, yeah, right, <laughs> yeah. Whoa, like we got a CD. Yeah, like it's on a CD. Yes. What? You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that would have been that would have been oh, senior year. Yeah. So actually, so that goes right into the show thing. Actually, so because okay. um, right around the same time is when we booked our first show. It was senior year as well. Um, and it was at Bringle Terrace in Vista. They have that indoor venue. And um, at this point, it was just me and Brad. We had split off from the other guys. Um, we were a group called State of Mind with our crew name. And um, I remember that night super well. I had a, I was wearing an Optimus Prime shirt, and Brad was wearing a Megatron shirt. Legit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and I had this like Chinese hat on. With a do rag underneath. <laughs> yo, That's hip hop. It's so hip hop. It was yo. What's crazy is I actually have like video from that night. That's great. I do. That's and, great. In the video, like I can see Topher and you know and M. Like, oh, I can see these wow. guys. You know, and at the time, like, um, I wasn't like close with them yet. You know, so they were just fellow hip hop heads. And so like going back and watching the tape and seeing these dudes who who were into like the the dope the same music that I was yeah. and seeing them like rocking with us was like crazy like so like when we did that show seeing this this small community this niche community of quote unquote underground heads like being into what we were doing was like that was like a game changer for me i was like i can really do this you know what i mean like yeah. like i this could really work i'm serious that's and exciting that what a feeling that that must be and as soon as that was done like, we were getting mad love, like, the next Monday at school. Um, and there was this dude, Mr. L. I don't know if you remember Mr. L. Mm-hmm. For people listening, Mr. L had this class called Printing and Graphics where you could, the short version is you could make T-shirts. t-shirts. You, could, you could print mm-hmm. shirts. Yeah. And I didn't even have his class, but Mr. L was like, I just want people using the stuff. And so if you're going to utilize it, you could come in. So I would. So what I started doing was... I would come in at lunch or I would come in on my free period. I had a free period as a senior. I'd come in on my free period and I would print shirts. And this was like my first hustle. Like I would sell, I was slaying shirts at school. So I would go to the t-shirt mart right by, right next to my church, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right on mission. Um, and I'd buy t-shirts for three bucks. I'd print for free and I'd sell the shirts for eight bucks. I'd make a $5 profit That's every shirt. Dude. Every shirt. And then we got into long sleeve <clears> shirts and eventually we got into like hoodies, the whole nine. And that was like my first hustle. And I remember, I'll never forget this. The first time I ever counted the money, this is like profit, like the black, right? Yeah. I remember there was like $125. And I was like, I don't think I've ever even had $100 ever in my life. You know what I'm saying? Like my parents didn't like give us, like we had like really, really basic allowance. We didn't really have money like that. You know what I'm saying? Like. I never had bought anything. But you're in the three too. figures at this point. Yeah. At 16, 17 years old. Yeah, it was crazy. I was like, <laughs> yeah. yo, like these dudes, which another thing too, so I won't try not to tangent too much, but this is actually what like got me out of wearing name brand clothes. Okay. So I used to be really, really big on like all the name brands, like 
Mecca and Avarex, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Nautical Polo. Like, that used to, I would just go to Ross or Marshalls or TJ Maxx and just buy as much. That's what we all did. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's just how we, that's how we operated. But once I started slinging these shirts, I was like, one day I'm like, yo, these dudes are paying me to advertise for my rap group. <laughs> They're paying me to advertise for me. Yeah. And it like hit me one day and I was like, that's what I do every single day. <laughs> this is it what clicked. I do. I'm serious. That's yes. true story, bro. Oh, like, this is what I do every single day. And that's yeah. like and that's how, literally how I started like working out of like wearing name brand clothes like that. That's cool, man. And I'm not like anti name brand clothes, but it just yeah, I, it yeah, gave me it gave me a new perspective, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like of what kind of what I was doing and you what can I was be a placing. brand all of a sudden like that could, you know that could that could have been yeah that's cool yeah what did that teach you you think like is there some kind of a, a underlying message there that you were like wait a second if that clicked for you then in clo- in advertising your rap group uh, you know through clothing what I don't know I guess what's the long term lesson out of that well there, I think there's a few things man one is I was actually I was for the first time a lot more intentional about what I what I would and would not wear uh-huh. or you know or rep. All right. You yeah. know? Um because like by by rocking this or supporting this, like I'm co signing it to the fullest extent. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um and so I went through that phase where I basically was like, if I'm wearing name brand, I'm wearing L R G and that's it. You know yeah. because that I because their whole thing was like we put on, you know, underground rappers and skaters. Mm-hmm. That's that was their approach. Right. And so I, I rocked with that. Yeah. You know? Um so yeah, just really having intentionality about um what you promote and knowing that you're always promoting something. Um and so like what is that gonna be? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also, as you said before, like, I can become my own brand for other people to promote. For sure. Yeah. In your journey, like, through music, doing shows is, um, you know, one of the biggest elements for fans or your following to really connect with you in person, you know? Yeah. Um, is Is there that one show where you were just like, this is the big show, like, this is the one... And you needed to prep yourself in all facets of your life, mentally, physically, whatever the case was. Like, you were hype off of this one show. Like, I booked this show, and this is going to be crazy. What was that show for you? Um, I would probably say there's two or three of those moments. Really? All right. Yeah. Um, three. Um, three. Yeah, three. One was the the first time that I ever played House of Blues. Um, that was a, a huge deal. That's just a great venue because it's the House of Blues. That's you know what I mean? That's like a, a lifetime dream for a local artist is to you know rock the House of Blues. No. I did it uh, with a full band, and yeah, I was just like, I have to kill this. I'm at like that show. Like I was already doing a lot of shows and inviting people out, but once I said I was doing House of Blues. All these people that never come are just like, oh, yeah, I want to come. They're telling their friends about it. Everybody mm. wants to come when it's at House of Blues. All you know? of a sudden, yeah. So I'm like, yeah. dude, we really got to kill it. Um, and it was the first time doing, like, full, full band, um, which is just a whole other dynamic and element to the live set. Um, so that was, like, crazy pressure, but it was a, an amazing show. I have some footage from that night that's, like, timeless for me. It was a great experience. Yeah. Really great show. Yeah. What makes you feel that way about that show? Well, so many friends um, and even like supporters that just 
didn't live local like came out for this thing hmm. and the crowd was packed they were live they were excited it sounded so good i had never sounded so good live i never used that kind of system before like it sounded just good um and the people they were they were rooting for us man it was like they wanted me to win you yeah know? Like, that was just kind of the vibe yeah. the attitude um and it <clears throat> it like went how i ex- not expected but how i envisioned it happening is what happened and that doesn't happen very often that's cool. you know what i'm saying yeah so you were on top of the world, huh? Yeah, like we had, we we used to at the time we were always closing out the show with this song called Rock On. All right. From um my second full length album, Rosario Dawson. Um and the chorus is very much like it's it has in the words, it says, um, everybody listening tonight, put a hand in the sky if you're feeling all right and say rock, rock on. So it's very much a Q&A chorus. Yeah. And in moments like that, they're like the best experience or the worst experience. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. Because yeah. there are those times when people just, they're they not into it. They didn't resonate yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. They don't put their hand up. Uh-huh. They don't say anything back, whatever and stuff. Yeah. And so, but this is one of those times where every hand goes up and everybody's screaming rock up. Like I can hear it from the stage. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they're, you know what I mean? And like, it's really just a, a great, great feeling. So um, the second show, I would say, um, happened a few years later. And I was performing at this um, human trafficking global forum. And so this was like a completely different audience um, of not hip hop heads, but just like people that are into social justice and um, care passionately about different forms of human trafficking. Um, and so it was a big audience. <clears throat> excuse me. It was a big audience. We were out in San Francisco, um, and it was like there was like British royalty there. There was Whoa. like major league ball players there. Um, all these these people. I was just being exposed to a whole different wow. like section. And there's something really fun when you're an artist and you know you're in front of a brand new crowd. Okay, there's something really dope about that, really pure about it, because it's a way to like really test your material. Because these people, they don't, they have no reason to care about you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Um, and yeah. so those are like really, really cool moments. Or they also can be really bad moments, you know, depending <laughs> on how you do. But um, it, I mean, the short version is, um, I did, I just did two poems that night. Um, I wasn't doing anything with music, just poems, and it ended in like an epic standing ovation. Of, you know, like 800 people, like off their feet you know cheering me on trying to bring me back out and wow it was it was it was really cool and also later on um this dude i don't know if you're familiar with him his name's daniel beddingfield no nah, i can't okay. say okay do you remember natasha beddingfield yeah it's her brother no way yeah. so he never he never <laughs> crossed over they're from the uk okay she crossed over he didn't got but it he was like a big deal over all there. right yeah um and he was at this thing and um we're all backstage and he shows up late and he's talking to the host and he's like, dude, we just, we need you to do, what are you going to do? We need you to do something. He didn't have any music with him, any tracks and stuff. Yeah. And so he was like, look, just play this song. I'm just going to, I'm going to sing this cover of, um, um, what's it called? Oh my gosh, I'm blanking. Uh, change the world. Um, why am I forgetting his name? I'll have to put that in later. <laughs> he was doing this cover of Change the World. Yeah. And so they were practicing it backstage in the tent, right? We had these tents. 
I'm just back there chilling. I already been on stage, did my thing, shaking sure. it. Um, and while the dude, the host is playing guitar, Daniel stops singing and he just starts beatboxing because he's like kind of into hip hop too, you know, All just right. for fun. Cool. And me being the MC that I am, I just, I just kind of walked over and started started freestyling. Did you? Know you? What I mean? All just right. Because whatever, I was feeling it. You know? Cool. Um, and we had like a cool little moment, and he was like, "That's what we're doing." This is what's going to happen. And I was like, whoa, 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 man. I'm just going to He's like, nope, that's what we're doing. Oh, my so, God. So later on, he's on stage. They're playing the song. He's covering it. And then he brings me out. And this, I don't know if you know, Jonathan Jackson is this actor. He's on a show called Nashville. Crazy. He's Boy Meets World. Like, Crazy. Uh, yeah, you know, he has a band and stuff. And he comes out. And then my boys from this crew, The Wrecking, come out. And everyone's singing the song. And then he hits the beatbox. And I'm freestyling with this dude. And it was just like a really, really cool moment. Yeah. Um, what was the crowd responding like? Oh, they were eating it up, man. <laughs> were, the thing about freestyling, man, is it's really... Like, when you're outside of, like, a true hip-hop community, it's, like, the perfect party trick. Okay, okay, you know, like, yeah. Because even if people oh, don't like rap music, the fact that something is being improved, they love, you know? The yeah. fact, if you say something that just happened or mentioned something in the room or something that just, you know what I mean? Like, they yeah. love that stuff. They're in they, it, that's why. They love yeah. it, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And so it was a, it was a great moment. Um, I literally, like, had the Duchess of York be like, Yo, you're super dope. Well, she didn't say super dope. Like, <laughs> you know, like, Do it in her be- <laughs> best British accent. Or super dope. <laughs> Quite dope. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Whatever you said, but that was just like crazy to me. I'm like, who? I was like, where am I? Like, who are these people? So you know what wild. Um, and then the last show I'll say is the album release show for um, my third full length album, Searching for Alpha Trion, in 2012. And that was a big show for me because. Um, it was the first, it was the, I've done a million shows, but I always hated throwing shows. Mm. Um, I don't have a, I don't have a good admin gift and I'm really bad at throwing events. I'm bad at it. Um, and anytime I've tried in the past, it always affected my set. Like I did a bad set. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I didn't do it for years. And so when I did this album release show, um, not only was I throwing the event, but like I was headlining the bill um at UCSD and um I had been to a bunch of UCSD shows as a spectator yeah but like this was my show and I was headlining it and it was for my release you know what I mean mm-hmm. and so um even doing like things like House of Blues and stuff were great shows but they I was I wasn't the headliner you know what I'm saying right so this is like my first time once I really had some real momentum where I had did a big show that was like mine um and so yeah that was like super important for that to be right and it was a really cool experience dope man three different situations very entirely different. very different yeah and they're important for different reasons yeah absolutely that's cool you know um there's a lot of great success that comes with like putting on your own show and then here it is it's for your album release and all that so you're three albums in when this first show where you're headlining um the the lineup yeah. it's all you did the crowd go nuts? Yeah, they were li- they were live, man. It was lit, <laughs> Sick. bro. Sick. Like, it was just one of those things where, because I had played for big audiences multiple times before, yeah. but this was the first summer. It's like, the masses are mostly here for me. All right. Instead of a segment. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so much of being an independent artist, 
is performing for new ears every time you're on stage. No doubt. You know what I mean? Like yes. when you, opening is really a great thing because it just exposed you to other people's audiences, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I had gotten used to that and kind of relished in that and did the most I could with it. And so it was just different to do a big show. It was big for me. It was This was probably, it was about 350 people that night. And for a show that I was the headliner of, that was definitely the biggest thing nice. I, had, I had ever done. That's nice. Um, and so it was just special, you know? It was just special. That's cool. You got a major setback that, like, really sticks out in your mind? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's dive into that, man. Yeah, so this is kind of a weird question for me. Um, basically, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an easy way to say this. Um, I... As the independent music business changed, I didn't change with it, and that affected me big time. What change is it that you... So, in the modern um, climate for the independent artist, there is a much shorter window that can pass without you releasing new content. Um, as, you, as, as you know, like content is everything consistency is everything um and whether we like it or not there's just it's also about quantity and volume yeah you know what i mean yeah it's the truth and i came up listening to i came up in a different era like outcast put out an album every two years like consistently mm -hmm. two years never anymore never any less you know what i mean yeah um nas illmatic and it was written came out two years apart goody mob every two years you know, like, these are the records I was bumping. And, you know, Wu-Tang was 94, that was three years, 94 to 97, you know what I mean? Um, and so I enjoyed that. Like, I liked, I didn't want to feel oversaturated by my favorite artist. And so as the indie industry was changing and social media was forcing us to put out content faster, I was stubborn and I didn't want to do that. Um, and so... So it was a double whammy. One, that was my mindset of like, I don't need to do that. And two, coming off of the success of Searching for Alpha Tryon, um, my next project was like a niche, a very, very niche project. I did this album called The Wretched. And The Wretched, is, you don't even know what I'm talking about, I guess, huh? I don't think I do, and man. That's what I'm, and you know me personally. Yeah. And this is part of my point. So wow. The Wretched was... Um, a niche project that I did that was basically I was attempting to bridge hip hop and musical theater. And um, this is pre Hamilton. Hamilton didn't exist. Yeah. All right. Um, and I was really inspired by, by Les Miserables. All right. I grew up watching musicals. Okay. And I lo absolutely love Les Miserables. Um, and the themes of Les Miserables are justice, redemption, grace. You know what I mean? And these are like what I'm already, like, where my head's already yeah. at, you know what I mean? I'm passionate yeah. for social justice. Like, because of my faith background, like, redemption and grace, these are, like, huge themes for me. And I'm like, this is the perfect time to make a piece of art that is going to stand out separate from everything that's existed in hip-hop. Like, no one's ever done this before. Yeah. And so, like, and I'm talking, like, not just, like, sampling from a musical. Like, I was, like, making arrangements that, hip-hop arrangements that felt like musicals. I'm talking like time changes during songs, 
BPM changes during songs, key changes during songs, like making it feel like a musical even though it's hip hop. Yeah. And this didn't exist before, you know? Right. And so I did this project and the short version is it failed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it didn't it didn't do well. It mm. didn't like the blogs, the hip hop blogs and stuff that had like come that really liked me and looked like supporting me, they didn't know what to do with it. They were yeah. like what what is like yeah, what, what is, is this? this? You know what mm. I mean? They're like I don't like all the singing. I don't, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, like, this isn't hip-hop. Like, where's the, you know what I mean? Like, kick, snare, you know, one and three, two and four, you know, they they, they just didn't, they didn't like it, you yeah. know? Which is, like, you can't get on someone for not liking something. Everyone's opinion is theirs and they're allowed to have it. But, um, the people just didn't get it. And so, it was just a big frisbee over their heads. Crazy. You know? Um, and so there's like a really small niche of people that, there's like a, a circle of people in my following that that's by a landslide their f- favorite thing I've ever done. Wow. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, but for most people... These are the Namas purists right here, huh? No, I'm serious. <laughs> they exist. They exist. Yeah. <laughs> they do. Yeah. But for most people, they were just like, I, I basically alienated the audience that I had. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And all the blog connections I had made, I alienated all of them. Wow. You know what I mean? They're wow. like, we don't rock with this anymore. You know? Ouch. And then... So that was came out a year later, and then it was another two years before my next album, Socially Just, was 2015. All right. So my main audience didn't even accept The Wretched, so that's essentially three years. It's almost like a big old gap that didn't happen. Three years of mm-hmm. no music. That mm-hmm. is indie artist suicide, bro. Yeah. Straight up. Wow. It is. That can't, you know what I mean? Like, if you do this stuff just for like on the side for fun, you can do whatever you want. But I was doing this as a career, you know what I mean? 2011, October 2011 is when I started doing music full time. Yeah. And this is how I was eating, you know what I mean? And so even during, even while I'm not putting out albums, I'm selling beats, I'm doing features, like I'm mixing other people's projects and stuff, and that's how I'm making it sustained. But by the time a new record came out, like, I had pretty much like used all those resources and people were kind of just like over it. You know what I mean? Like there's just, there's so many, there's so many artists, there's so much music. And the reality is even though there's a lot of bad music, there's a lot of really good music too. There's a lot of really talented artists like across the genres, you know? And if you wait too long to re tease their ears, they're just going to listen to somebody else. You know what I mean? Because a, a normal music listener is already having to decide who to listen to and who not to listen to because they're constantly being flooded with so much content. For sure. You know? Um, and so, basically, I was riding a wave, and instead of taking it to the beach, I was like, I'm just going to get off because there'll be another one. Damn. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And a bit, there'll be a bigger one coming, and the bigger one didn't come. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And wow. so, like, it was weird. Like, and when I released that album, it really felt like I completely started over, you know? Or actually, I should say, after that album. And, and don't get it twisted. Like, that album was received well. Sure. But I, it was much, much more of an uphill climb than I had experienced in the last seven years, probably. Because previous to that... Every album I did was a considerable jump. Every project I did was a considerable jump. My, you know, like I did bigger numbers, and I had a bit, my audience would jump every time. Yeah. And this was the first time I put some like, not including the wretched, um, 
where I, I put something out, and even though it was received well, right, because it wasn't niche, it was just me being me, yeah. and I had gotten better as an artist, it was just much more of an uphill climb of having to, like, re- make this connection with these with blogs those, mm-hmm. and, and my audience. I'm having mm-hmm. to, like, win them back over. Yeah. I went from, we got you, we support you no matter what, to, like, I got to prove to you that I really can still kill it. Yeah. You know? Dang. I have to pull you from what you're listening to to listen to me instead. Yeah. Um, and so even now, gearing up for this next album, um, it it still feels like, in some ways, I still feel like I'm, like, a new artist because... I'm now existing in a new climate, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, like, last year, I knew I couldn't ha- put an album out, but I knew I had to put something out. So um, I just started putting out singles, you know? Like, my son was born. Um, I needed money, and so there was just less time to create. And I'm like, I can't do another year without putting music out. So I just set a goal for myself, and I'm like, I'm going to do... I'm going to finish one song a month and whatever I finish is what I'm going to put out. I set a six month goal of that and I did it six months straight. Wow. And so what was weird was to my audience, they felt like I was doing more music than normal because they're used to me waiting two, three years to put a project out. Yeah. And here you were pumping out a song a a month, basically or recording a song a month. Right. Which was, which was slow for me. Like Mm. I didn't really, I, I, had long gaps of releasing music, but it wasn't that I wasn't creating. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, I'm the dude that locks himself <clears throat> in the studio for a year and records 40 songs to eventually put 12 to 15 of them out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't work anymore. Right. I can't do that, you know? I've kind of observed that artists, like, they're just pumping out music. And, it, and, and you said it, though, as far as some of it sucks, but then there's also a lot of it that's also good yeah. that's out there. And it goes back to the whole content being consistent um quality like how does someone kind of maintain that though if if it's always just a constant like let me let me write record and pump it out and and air it you know what i mean like how do you maintain quality with that kind of pressure yeah well i would say i think most people don't honestly personally Mm. that's how i feel yeah um i think we get a lot of poor or not poor but like if you're a good artist you're not going to make anything that just sucks. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Um, but I think often we don't get the best of people because of that. Right. Um, and so even in my one song a month, I still didn't allow myself to cut any corners in creating it. You know mm. what I mean? Like in the early days, I might have just taken a beat, you know, write a couple verses and write a hook, record it and put it out. But um, these days, I have so much more intentionality with how I'm creating what I'm putting out, um, the process. Um, and that's really like my main filter to be able to avoid my, the quality dropping. Okay. Is that my, my process, um, I'm not letting, I'm not allowing myself to cut corners in that. If, if you were to put a number on it, like how many hours in a day did you put in to pump out like that one song within that month? Man, I, this is probably the answer you want, but I really don't know because um, I was doing this while being a stay-at-home dad. And so I'm talking like I put my son down for a nap, I pick up the pen. Okay. You know what I mean? That's yeah. really what my life was. The very moment you had a free to you, it was to Any free, free moment. Mm. Any free moment. Mm. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like 
not what you know like in, when he was first born it's like he's taking a nap me and wife you put on netflix watch a show you know until he wakes up but yeah once she went back to work and i realized that there wasn't time to create anymore and you gotta think man like i was doing music full time for six years yeah i was used to having all day <laughs> <laughs> you know eight hours a day when my bracing from when my wife left to when my wife got home where i can just do what i want yeah you know and, uh, and having the luxury of redoing things and retakes and experimenting with this and you know and once the time becomes more precious and it's just like yo I don't like I ain't watching no TV I ain't reading no books I ain't reading no comics I'm not read I'm not doing anything but this because I'm just barely gonna be able to even finish this you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. um, and that actually really changed. A lot of my process, some of which in a good way, though, like I started creating full songs um, like I used to be very compartmentalized in my process. Okay. Where it's like I'm working on strictly the music now, I'm working on strictly the writing now, strictly the recording now. And now I kind of do everything at the same time. So the song is is being built um, and the blocks stacking on top of each other are portions of all aspects of the creation. So I'll start working on the beat. I'll start writing. I'll get a skeleton of the beat. I'll record some of it. And then I'll go back and change things in the beat. And I'll rewrite things and change things. And then go back and rec- finish it. And so it's it's all, it's all kind of mushed together now. And it used to be very separate. And you made that change because of speed? Um, I think I made that change because... With the time crunch, I was forced to move on to other stuff. And when I would, I wasn't satisfied with where I was at. So I had to go back and do things. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Made a beat. Well, like, well, I got to get to writing to meet this deadline. Start writing. And I'm like, I don't think this beat is there. So I need to change something. You know, record it. And I'm like, this isn't, this could be better. Rewrite, re- you know what I'm saying? And that kind of changed my, my process. Is it all you that, as far as decisions to put out a song, is it 100% your opinion or do you get feedback from your community or do you get feedback from your immediate family or friends, things of, things of that nature? It's pretty much just me. I basically send everything to my brother to mm-hmm. see what he thinks about it. Um, but for the most part, I make all the decisions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I do. Um, it's interesting. I can't. I don't know. It's weird. I, I've tried. I've toyed with like sending songs to certain other artists, friends of mine, and stuff first, and see what they think and get feedback. Um, and there's definitely getting feedback is a great thing, you know. Um, but I've had to learn sometimes the hard way that with my fellow artistic friends, when they give me feedback and advice on my music, I have to I have to think about it as if like um. Um, what's it called like pining for gold like you know when you um, you stick those like grates in the water and you pull it out and all the, the gunk goes through the holes but the yeah. nuggets like that's what you need to keep right? yes like that's how I've learned to receive the, the feedback. feedback because ultimately these other artist friends of mine don't have the same goal as me I hear you there you know all what right. I'm saying yeah 100% because that was mm-hmm. messing me up too like um my buddy Ruslan with King's Dream and, and Belief and John Gibson, some of those guys, dudes that I've done a lot of touring with and I'm good friends with, um, 
they're super talented artists, you know what I mean? Like, I, I love their work. Um, but we don't have the same goal. And we really don't even make the same mu- same kind of music. It's mm. the same genre, mm-hmm. but we have very different approaches um, and just different tastes, you know? And so I can't just accept everything they say because they have a different agenda than I do. Right. You know? Yeah. And so that used to mess with me, but I've had to learn to just kind of trust my gut and live and die by it that's really interesting too because like I'm, I'm hearing you talk about the differences between you and artists that you appreciate respect um and have toured with i mean you guys have ha- had some kind of camaraderie in that process i'm right. sure yeah yet at the same time you understand what your distinct difference is between you and them and for each of them among themselves too they have their differences as well yeah and you have to stay true to that though and yeah. and in that I mean, you don't lose yourself, which is good. I think that there's, um, I don't know, I guess you, you wouldn't be lying to yourself if you were to kind of fall into the trap of comparisons too often. You're trying to stay unique and true to your message and whatever your approach is to make music. It's going to be different for somebody else because it's right to you. Yeah. I think that that resonates with audience members in anything. And then I'm talking about like this podcast, your music, um, you know, a visual artist or someone, you know, some whatever it is. If they stay true to what it is important to them and their process and then there's that following that that appreciates that too. Then you have, I don't know, I guess truer fans I guess you can say, and it's not like it's because you sound like this person yeah. or whatever the case is. So yeah. I don't know. You hear me on that? No, I told 100%, bro. It's like, look, there are different waves that come in any kind of art, but specifically for my purposes, it's it's hip-hop, right? And if you follow a wave, which is what we call it now, but really it's following trends, but we don't like to use that because then it sounds lame, right? <laughs> If you follow a wave, like you might find more immediate success than staying true to yourself. Mm. Honestly, you probably will. Immediate success, mm. right? But that stuff's not going to last, bro. If it ain't authentical you, it's not going to last long term. Like eventually either your audience is going to see through that or you're going to get burnt out doing it. You know what I'm saying? And so if you're for any 100%. type of creative, for, for any kind of creative, like if you're doing this stuff, and you're making your decisions based off of what you're hearing sonically on the radio or based off of, you know, the design style you see from this person or writing style of this person, whatever. Like, you might find yourself hating your own art five years down the line, looking back at me like, yo, I don't even know. Why did I do this? Why did I do it? You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, my way doesn't guarantee you anything. I can't, I can't guarantee me or anyone else Six, any type of quote unquote success, you know what I mean? But, but, um, I can promise you that, like, you'll have dignity in your art at the end of the day. And, like, this is how you genuinely fall in love with, like, your craft and the art that you're putting out. How you can, like, authentically be, like, giving this out as, like, a true form of self expression. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause ultimately that's all art is it's self expression. That's literally what it is. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, it just manifests in different ways depending on what what kind of art you do. Um, and when you give something that is like authentically you, there's something special about that. You know what I mean? Yeah, your signature's on it. Yeah, like you know? it's it's a this is part of your contribu- contribution to Earth. For sure. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, I do hear you. Yeah. Like, and so like let's contribute us to Earth. Let's not try to contribute somebody else to Earth because they've already done that. Yeah. Yeah, you know I got you. 
How much of it is, you know, you, you have to stay authentic, and I'm, I'm totally vested in that idea. How much of it do you need to also consider listening to your market or your audience? Yeah, that's a really tough balance, and I'm not going to pretend like I have that figured out because um, I, I don't. Um, I'm always learning um, and evolving and trying to fully dissect that. But that is a very real thing. So there's um, there's a difference between um, like following a trend or copying someone or even fully just like catering to what people want from you mm -hmm. um, and being intentional about who your listeners are. It's not the same thing, you know. Um, and I would encourage anyone to be intentional about who their audience is, you know, um, being true to yourself doesn't mean like ignore your fan base. It doesn't mean don't ever listen to anybody else. You know what I mean? Like, we, we can't be, we have to always be teachable. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Like yeah. we have to always be students. We have to always be learning always. Um, and the reality is, is most artists, we have like all these different things about us. And we sometimes don't even know which of those things are good ideas and bad ideas because they're all just our ideas, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so listening to your fan base can kind of help you, like, filter through um, getting the best out of you. Got it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So if, I'm, if I'm hearing you right, if you, I mean, um, just because of my lack of experience, but if I'm going to put in my terms of understanding, like, your community, if you were to pay attention to a blog post, right – that reviewed your music, the comments below that are going to be your fan base and the blog's fan base as well. And then they're, they're saying that this track was fire or this track, I really was feeling this when he said this. And do you read those things? And, and does that help you then, def not define, but does it help you at least um, maintain your course of like, that song was dope for this, uh, for this audience that seems to resonate with a larger fan base. So when I produce my next song, I don't have to sound like that, but the same, I don't know, I guess the the foundation of that or the message of that, I don't know, the same themes and process that I put into that song need to be repeated. So I think there's two responses to that. Okay. One, and this is what I, one is what I think most people would probably do, is this song was successful, they like this, they like this, so I'm going to try to reproduce that again. Okay. Um, and sometimes that works for people and sometimes it doesn't. Me, I take the route two, um, or I try, at least I try. Again, I'm, I'm still figuring this stuff out myself, you sure. know? Um, and instead of trying to recreate that song, um, I try to understand what, about, what, what it is about the song that makes them like it so much. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Because if I can find a way to manifest that thing, it doesn't, it doesn't confine me to just remaking this song. I just need I to like you. learn how to like use that i need to learn how to use this thing about me they like in other songs mm -hmm. in other you know what i mean so like in that logic i can talk about whatever i want to but if i know how to channel this thing that they like about me you know what i'm saying it can just come out and whatever it can come out in other ways besides remaking the same song and creatively it's still you which right. is which is the important balance exactly. that you're talking about. It's still me. Yeah. That, that's the whole point. Got you. Yeah. You know, like if, if if my audience is helping me filter out what I should talk about more or what way I should rap more, but it's all coming from me, then there's no dignity lost in that because For it's sure. me. For sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's still it's still all part of my Good offering. Message. They're yeah. just showing me what pieces resonate with them more than others. 
Fuck. That was fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, let's talk about your latest project. I mean, you got an album that's about to drop. Yes. Um, I, I mean, you, you're obviously very excited about it, I'm sure. But can you tell me, like, what, how this album is kind of different from maybe your previous work? Yes. So first of all, the album's called Roads to Rome. Um, and that's Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S. Um, it drops June 26th. I think that's the date. Yeah, June 26th. I'll just run with June 26th. Fair. Um, and I think it's very different because this record kind of um, chronicles the last couple years of my life and the changes that I've been through. Um, becoming a father, experiencing a new financial burden, um, hip-hop, like not being able to fully pay the bills anymore. Like this is all new to me, you know? Like I said, I was doing strictly music. And when I say strictly music, I don't mean I was just selling CD, rap CDs. Like, I was touring, I DJ, you know, I engineer, I produce for other artists. Like, anything related to music I, is what I was doing, you know? Yeah. You know? Um, and when my wife went on maternity leave, like, you know, we don't live in Canada. We don't, you know what I'm saying? Like, we were getting 55% of her check. Yeah. That's a big cut. Yeah. That's a big cut, you know? Um, and music by itself, or at least hip-hop, you know, whatever, wasn't, I wasn't able to shoulder that burden without something changing. Um, and so I knew that I had to find other ways to make money. Like, I had to exhaust more time making dough than just, like, having fun writing songs. I had to, you know? Mm -hmm. My baby was coming. You know what I'm saying? Like, my yeah. son was about to be born. Um, and so that was, like, really difficult for me. It was really, really hard because... Um, I don't look at my art as just like a fun hobby. Like, um, I create because like I have to. You know what I'm saying? This is like eating and sleeping to me. You know what I mean? This is just like a part of my being, you know? Um, and so not being able to do it is really tough, you know? Like, because this is a part of my life. This yeah. is how I, you know? This yeah. is how I deal with, this is how I live, you know? Um, and so I get to talk about a lot of that in the record. Um, and I get to talk about like my son coming, my son came to this earth in a very dramatic way. Um, we, you know, my wife had a high risk pregnancy and we weren't sure if he was going to even make it to term. And they talked about pulling him out at 26 weeks and crazy stuff. And even when he was born, it wasn't over yet. We spent a few weeks in, in the NICU and they're, you know, putting them on breathers and all types of stuff. It was very, very dramatic. And so um, I talk about, I don't get into too much detail in that because I've kind of, I've kind of been waiting. Um, like I'm just now in a stage where I can fully talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, I've always, anytime I went through something tough, I always pick up the pen immediately. But this was the first time where I wasn't able to do that. Wow. I just, I couldn't. I just couldn't, you know, it was too much for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> it was rough, man. It was really, really hard. Wow. Um, and man, my wife was so freaking strong in that time. And so like she, we grew together, you know, so much more together out of this. I believe it. Um, I believe it. And so anyways, the vibe of this record, I'm dealing with some like transitional things and some of it's a little tough, but 
none of that stuff like broke me you know what i mean and so that the songs aren't depressing and they're not sad this is actually probably the most like vibey chill album i've ever done um and most of the songs feel really good because like i was like victorious over these things um that's solid you know um and it's i'm I'm super thankful that I can even say that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> For sure, um, yeah. And ultimately, I'm going to give the full story of the stuff with my son, how that all went down. <clears throat> um, but like I said, I'm just now at, at a place where I'm able to do that. That's heavy, Without man. crying. That's <laughs> you know so what I'm heavy, saying? Like, bro. Like, yeah. I mean, that's so personal. And then you, and you, when you finally put this album together, it's because you were victorious from all of those things it's the growth that you learned that you wrote about that you chose to wrote, write about yeah and i think that man if it if that didn't resonate with the the, the fans that have been with you from the start i don't know what would sure. i mean that's that that's real that is literally real life that is being produced on this record yeah yeah and so um i still keep some of my you know my i've always had a theme of social justice in my music uh -huh. just because that's important to me and there's yes. You're still going to hear that, you know what I mean? But even that is, it's done, um, it's this time around, like my last album, Socially Just, um, is very, um, it's very line in the sand, you know mm. what I mean? Like, this is what I'm about with these kind of issues, and like, you're either kind of on board or you're not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and this record, that's not really my approach. Um, I'm... Um, I'm more discussing it and ex and sharing my experience with these things instead of instead I'm less in teacher mode and I'm more in like journal mode. Oh right, right. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Because the last album was very much teacher mode. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so this I'm like instead of just talking about the issues, I'm talking about how I've been affected by them. For sure. You know, I got yep. a, I got a song on the record. I get it. Um, this it's, this was one of the singles I put out that you can listen to now. It's called Agape. Um, and in that song, in the last verse on that song, I have a section where I talk about um, when I was pulled over by police and they got hands on the guns, you know what I'm saying? And like, I'm legit like worried that my life might end tonight. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I've never talked about that in any song before, even though this happened a decade ago. Um, I've just talked about um, black community and police issues from like a macro perspective, mm -hmm. never in the micro. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so there's things like that where I'm just like giving you kind of my experience instead of like telling you what you should think about. I it. hear you. Yeah. Um, and so not just for me. So anyways, in the song, I kind of the last verse is me and my experiences, but the first verse, I'm um, speaking to other people's experiences that I've seen um, and how all of our experiences are ultimately different and we don't really know or we can't truly understand someone's experience if they haven't if you haven't lived it and so we gotta meet everybody with compassion because you don't know what they've been through you know what I'm saying so the first verse I'm like touching on um, like some of the plights for women um, I'm touching on um, the portion of white America who is deemed racist when really they just don't understand some of the things that we're trying to talk about you know mm -hmm. what i'm saying like 
being called a racist is like the most disrespectful thing in the world. Yeah, that's pretty rough. And man. if that, and if you're not <laughs> one of those and you get labeled that just because you don't get something, like I feel f- that sucks. Yeah. You know, like like we got to be quick to quick to 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 push the label button on that. You know, we got to be really careful about those types of things. Uh-huh. You know? Um And then I talk about how like I can't imagine what it's like to be of Middle Eastern descent and to um, fit the bill visually in terms of the stereotype and speak your native tongue in public and have someone fear for their life in your presence. That's wild. I can't imagine what that's like. So I'm going to meet you with compassion because I don't know. You know. I don't know what that's like. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then again, in the last verse, I'm talking about my own stuff and it's like, so meet me with compassion because you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I talk a little bit about the stuff with my son and that as well. So That's so- that's solid, bro. Thanks, bro. Thanks, man. Oh yeah, you can check God. that out now. It's on all major digital, digital retailers. The song is called Agape. All right, Namas. So you got the album dropping, the 26th. We'll, yes. just, we'll call it the 26th. Yeah. And, um, man, is there anything, I mean, is, with this album dropping or anything, any, any shows, anything in the future where you're going to be traveling it to, to tour this album? Yeah, so that's interesting. That's kind of part of this journey is this is the first time that I've, I've never gone this long without being on stage ever since I started when I was, you know, my first show when I was in high school. Yeah. Um, And so I am just now with this album coming out, like being intentional again about trying to get back to the stage um, because I miss it. Um, And that's such a, it's such a fun part of the process because creating is awesome, um, but it's also always stressful and it's hard because you don't know how people are going to receive your offering. Um, but the live set is just like a different, it's a different beast because basically you, you, you have what you have and you get to like enjoy it again because the process of creating is rigorous sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, especially when you're like, like me, I mix and master all my own stuff. So like I hear the songs over and over to the point where I get sick of them and I have to like take some time away from it for a while, mm. but like performing it is like it's almost like writing it all over again. That's in terms cool. of like you're you're like back to that square one and can just kind of enjoy it again. And so I'm excited. So about you're that. excited? Yeah. I'm gonna be. Oh yeah. So I don't have any dates for you now, um, but I will be back on stage. Cool. When the record comes out. Good. So. I know that we can reach you out on social and, and different platforms and that. Can you, can you drop your taglines and everything like that? Yeah, so all my social media tags are um, at NamasHipHop, N-O-M-I-S-H-I-P-H-O-P. Um, and that's Insta, Twitter, Facebook. Um, yeah, I'm everywhere. I'm cool. pretty I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah, so, so we'll find dates uh, you know, as they're determined and all of that yeah. are in the future. I'm, I'm currently working on... Um, a, have a listening party okay the weekend before all right um which i think is like the 20 20th or 21st i think let me see real quick uh, yeah no worries and we're gonna drop this episode before for sure perfect so yeah so the, the weekend of the 22nd 23rd and 24th i'm trying to put a listening party together solid just days right before now. the the drop huh all right just days before legit yeah. legit cool man well uh <laughs> namas i appreciate your time like you took us through a lot of your experience and i think that um there's a lot to be 
listen to over and over in this episode, coming back to it as mm. artists. Um, I think that um, for artists to listen to this would be meaningful. But if you really read between the lines or listen between the lines, Namas, you had a lot of gems that you drop in, oh, even in, even man. in my world. Thanks, you man. know, um, shoot, even as a father and as a creative, like that's that's a hu- that's a huge um, balance that you have to wait. And yeah, man, I just appreciate what you were able to to share with us. I appreciate you having me on, man. It's yeah. really really my pleasure. I like I like talking about this stuff, man. I think I I used to stay away from. That's not a good way to put it. I used to always be in like brand mode where I'm like kind of finding ways to, you know, push the next thing and the next project and find ways to always bring the conversation back to the next song or release or whatever. And I'm just kind of over that. Like, <laughs> I don't appreciate that when I listen to the interview. So I'm not going to do that to nobody else. Like, I'm just going to try to, I'm at a stage like, Man, I just want to be like as transparent and as honest as I can with people, um, for both their sake and mine. You know, if if I can say something that's gonna resonate, like dope, and like, I just, I don't know, like I don't have anything else to give besides authenticity. That's just what I wanted. That's what I want to do. That's that's again coming back to like my offering on this earth. Like, I want that to be part of my legacy. You know. I would drop this mic because you, (laughs) but I can't. That's my equipment. But that was legit. (laughs) Namas, thanks again, bro. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Cool. So that last bit that Namas explains about leaving behind an authentic legacy really strikes a chord with me. I want so badly to give my best self and leave an impression, an impact on people because of my honest attempt to make a positive difference by offering my failures and my triumphs alike. And I really hope that you guys took a couple of nuggets of wisdom to help put some perspective into your efforts too. So, Namas has the album dropping, Roads to Rome, in just days after this podcast airs. I left a link in the description for you to purchase Roads to Rome as well as contact with Namis on Instagram. You can find him at Namis Hip Hop. That's at N-O-M-I-S Hip Hop for a link as well as connecting with him directly. Give him some feedback about his episode here with me on Setting Stages. As always, I love connecting with my listeners and you can find me on IG also at underscore Eddie Mac. Would love to hear your feedback. Would also appreciate any positive rating on iTunes and SoundCloud. The likes and the comments help build relevance to this radio show, and I hope that you believe in it so much that you would let me know how I'm doing. And if I'm doing great, awesome. Tell me what I'm doing well. I'd also love to learn what it is that I can change just to keep this show relevant for you. Thank you guys so much as always. And one more reminder, today is the youngest that you will ever be for the rest of of your life. Let's act like it. Till next time, y'all. Let's go.